Hi again. <laughs> and I am glad to see you. Um, my name is Deb Lawson. My husband Larry and I have been attending here for about 12 years, a little over. And, um, and I'm happy to be filling in for Phil this morning. Um, I think that he has been here, he and Josh, every single Sunday since the beginning of the COVID thing. And so I think he's needing a break, yeah. <laughs> Josh, you're next. <laughs> um, so I wanna talk to you this morning about two things, gardens and longing. So you can remember those when you leave here. Um, so first off, gardens. Um, have you noticed that one of the unexpected bright spots of this whole coronavirus is that so many people are working in their lawns and gardens. Yes. Um, with the need to stay home, all of a sudden we have time and energy, we can see what's going on, we're out there getting our flowers and stuff done. Well, Larry and I were no exception. And so last fall, when our 30-year-old south-facing deck was totally deteriorating, we decided that we would uh, spruce it up. So we started with the hardscape last fall, and this spring then we added some flowers. So you can kind of see our little, our little uh, eating area and our little fire pit and a few of my little baby plants there. They're going to they're gonna grow, but um, anyway. Um, oh, I was going to say no, no fruits or vegetable gardens, unfortunately. My sister's famous for that, but not for me. Um, gardens have a lot of significance in the Bible. So, of course, the first is the Garden of Eden. And so here in Genesis, it's saying, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east of Eden. What kind of a garden would God design? It would be amazing. The Lord God made all kinds of trees out of the ground Trees that were pleasing for the eye and good for food. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Um, so what might this look like? I don't know. Something more lush than what I had, <laughs> a take your breath away garden, a, a fill your heart with peace garden, maybe something like that. Um, I imagine children fro frolicking and playing and I would, and playing hide and seek and that's, I would definitely join them on that. I would feel alive and more deeply home than I'd ever felt anywhere before. Now that would be wholeness in life and God loves a good garden. But alas, we know the next part of the story is that they'll be expelled from the garden to a place of pain and suffering and death. But for now, just keep in mind that God loves a good garden and, um, and enjoying each other's beauty and the beauty of the garden is what he has in mind for us. Sorry, my brain isn't with me today, so um, I figure that's more room for him to get, he can creep, creep through the, 
through the cracks because I'm not going smooth. So pause there. Our summer series this, this year has been The Way Home. So the way home from where? Well, from Babylon. Um, so to recap, the, first there was David, the ki- king, and then Solomon. But after that, the kingdom split. It split into north and south. So the north was referred to as Israel and the south as Judah. And um, as the people and the kings would stray from God, God sent prophets to kind of warn them, if you keep this up, then you're probably going to be captured. Well, some were good, but some not so good, and eventually they were captured. And in about 722 B.C., the northern kingdom was captured. Um, you can kind of see on this map, the, so the northern kingdom, then you follow the green line, and they were captured by Assyria. Um, and I think this is kind of what you hear about the, the lost tribes of Israel is sometimes referred to, I think, those guys. And then um, about a little over 100 years later, 586 B.C., maybe a little earlier, the southern kingdom was captured by Babylonia and Nebuchadnezzar. Um, so Babylon was the capital of that area. So Judah was they were carted away over there. Babylon was this amazing city. It was probably the largest and most modern city in the whole world at that time. It was um, probably about the size of um, Chicago. It had these colossal um, walls. It had ornate temples and shrines to pagan gods. It had tiered gardens and towers. It was an amazing place. Um, And of course, it wasn't home. (laughs) Everything felt all wrong for them. Um, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. Everything was wrong. So what they were wanting to hear was that any day now they could go home. They looked for signs and they listened for prophets who could tell them that maybe in a year or two years they'd be home. Um, so first one guy would pop up and then another guy telling him that, oh yeah, that's going to happen, we're going to get home. But the prophet Jeremiah comes along and he has a different message for those who are in captivity. He said, this is what the Lord God The Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so they may have sons and daughters. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Dry mouth and everything. Um, So I was struck by the build houses and plant gardens. He's not just implying that they should plant carrots and beans. He also means fruit trees and fig trees. 
Have you ever planted a, a little twig of a tree? It, it just takes years and years for this to grow into a, a full-size, fully producing tree. Uh, this is, so the message is settle down, settle in. This is not your home, but you will be here for 70 years. So do settle in. It occurs to me that this is exactly where we are as well. Did you ever have the feeling? Nope. Uh, did you ever have the feeling that you were a stranger in a strange land? This sort of awkward, this is not the way things are supposed to be feeling. Things don't quite work. I, I don't know if I fit in. Something's not right. Well, of course, we've all felt this. Have any of you been in seventh grade? Uh, have you ever, any of you ever lived through a coronavirus? Yes, we felt awkward. But it goes deeper than being awkward into downright broken. It doesn't take a counselor like me to tell you that this world is broken. You know, you or someone you know has felt deeply the effects of this brokenness. The effects of losing a soulmate, of losing a child to death or to a sorrow you can't fix for them. You know the pain of being mistreated, wrongly judged, sometimes by those you believe to be safe, the ultimate in betrayal. You have known emotional pain of anxiety, discouragement, despair, or physical pain. You know loss of your dreams, of the way life was meant to be. And if you haven't yet, you secretly know you probably will. So how long can we expect this to last? Well, about 70 years, more or less. Life expectancy in 1959 was 70 years. Today it's upper 70s, but you get the gist. 70 years in our Babylon. An appropriate response to this is lament. Jeremiah is also the one who wrote the book of Lamentations, poetry of lament. It's okay to be sad. Now, I don't mean full-on self-pity or anything like that. I just mean sad. An honest recognition that this isn't it. There's a kind of homesickness in us. Sometimes we're aware of it, sometimes we're not. Throughout my life, I've had times where the, my heart says, out of the blue, I just want to go home. Have you ever had, felt that way? And sometimes I'm saying it while, while I'm in my own home, when I'm in my own cozy bed even. <laughs> we long for something more. And this is where Ecclesiastes says, he has planted eternity in the human heart. Eternity. A longing. So, um, several years ago, my friend Mary told me that she was taking a trip with her daughter to the Kuchenhof Gardens in the Netherlands. Well, I had never heard of the Kuchenhof Gardens, so I did a Google image search. And this is what I saw. Oops. Um, I think I literally gasped. <laughs> For a split second, I caught a glimpse of something more. It captured me. We eventually visited there ourselves a few years ago. 
And it really was that beautiful. (laughs) They plant seven million bulbs there every year. It captured me with a sense of longing. A longing in this case that remained unrequited because not that it didn't live up to my expectations, but that I was too small to hold all this. (laughs) Music can sometimes give us a bit of a realization of this. Something more. We hear, we hear that for a moment. Um, we hear something that for a moment speaks to the eternity in our hearts. So beautiful we want to cry, perhaps. Sometimes we catch a glimpse of eternity in worship. Um, at a previous church I was at, the, the roof line kind of went up like this. And all of a sudden, as I'm there singing some worship song, all of a sudden... The scene changed, and that peak of the roof became the bottom molding of the throne of God, and I was just filled with awe. Now, I know many of you, most of you, have had your own brief glimpses of something like this, something where the eternal broke through, or maybe God spoke to you for a moment, thin places. C.S. Lewis talks a little about something like this in his book, Surprised by Joy. He says, it's difficult to find words strong enough for the sensation that came over me. Milton's enormous bliss of Eden, giving the full ancient meaning to enormous, comes somewhere near it. It was a sensation, of course, of desire, but desire for what? Before I knew what I desired, the desire itself was gone, the whole glimpse withdrawn. The world turned commonplace again, or only stirred by a longing for the longing that had just ceased. An unsatisfied desire, which in itself is more desirable than any other satisfaction. I call it joy, a desire for something longer ago, or further away, or still about to be. He also says in Mere Christianity this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Let me repeat that one. It's a good one. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. You see, we really are in Babylon It's a place of building houses and planting gardens and raising kids and them growing up and raising their kids. But we're not ultimately meant for here. This isn't our homeland. Peter, in his first letter, says that we are strangers and aliens in this world. Other versions translate those words as foreigners, pilgrims, exiles, immigrants, Refugees. The message version says it this way. Friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourself cozy in it. We are made for another world. We are not in the garden. As my friend Lisa would say, we're just passing through this nonsense. So what does this knowledge do for us? Well, several things. 
One, it makes sense of our feelings. The feeling that something or everything is not quite right. It makes sense of our underlying sadness. It makes sense of our occasional feelings of homesickness for somewhere we've never been and something we've never experienced. Your feelings make sense. Two, it frees us from trying to make this place perfect. It doesn't need to be. It's like the difference between having a rental property and owning your own home. A rental property is temporary. We want it nice, but it certainly doesn't need to be perfect. Earthly pleasures, illegitimate and legitimate, were never meant to fully satisfy us. We are made for more. And three, it sets our sights on things above, on things that will last forever not just be temporary. So begin to think about the things that will last forever. Personally, I can't wait to see the new heavens and the new earth. I look forward to seeing what it would be like to live together in perfect harmony, the harmony of, of other-centeredness and joy, uh, where there's no more pain and no more sorrow and no more death. Jeremiah says to those in Babylon, and he also says to us these words, you will be in Babylon for 70 years, and then I will bring you home. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And he goes on to say, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. I have drawn you to myself. I will rebuild you. So, back to our patio. Larry, and I, Larry had a bright idea. Larry has many bright ideas. Um, of stenciling a verse on our patio. and he ordered, So he ordered the stencil and we put it up. This is what you see coming out of our back door. And this might be a little clearer. It says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in the garden. Now it comes from Luke 23. Um, it's Jesus' response to the thief on the cross beside him, uh, where the thief says, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And Jesus says, uh, truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. So paradise, the word that we're more familiar with, literally means garden, uh, a walled, protected garden. It's the same word, incidentally, that was used in Genesis, uh, in the Greek version, that's when it said the Garden of Eden, the paradise of Eden. Um, so I spent a lot of time on the ladder, Dab, 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 dabbing. <laughs> um, and in doing that, I had a lot of time to think about the words. Today. With you. Garden. It was like a meditation almost. Today. I realized the words that were about the thief. That today he would be completely whole. Completely home in the way our hearts are truly longing for. Today, that very day, 
The, the day that Thief died, the day Stan Brown died, or Ray Freeman, or Darla Dobbs, or the person that's coming to your mind right now, today. My grandfather, on my mom's side, was a very practical guy, not given to passionate declarations or anything. But on the day he died, he suddenly said, oh, it's so beautiful. Today, the garden. And then, as I was dab-dab-dabbing, I realized another thing. There was a broader message in this that I hadn't seen before. What would happen in an hour or two on that very day? Well, the temple, the veil in the temple was split in two. That veil that was a six-inch thick curtain split. The veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the people. The veil that symbolically separated God and man. That very day, where previously priests were needed to enter that place on our behalf, now we have direct access to the Father. Today you'll be with me in the garden. This is the first fruits of the garden, you might say, a taste of future delights. Today he is with, we are with him in the garden. Today we can be with Jesus. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So the people of Israel and Judah wanted to find a way home. We want to find a way home. We all want a way back to the garden. But if this world has taught us anything, it's that nothing we do can arrange for us to get ourselves all the way home the way we want. We can make things a little bit better. And we should try to make things better. We should absolutely try, and God calls us to do so at every chance we get. But we don't need to have any illusions that it's possible through any amount of our effort for things to get perfect, to achieve some sort of grand arrival here on earth, like we Americans so much want to believe. Solve the coronavirus, and another virus may pop up. Solve racism, and another ism will pop up. Solve your business crisis or your daughter's drug addiction and suddenly maybe your body fails you. We need a savior, one who is able to right this whole mess once and for all to make all things new. Romans 8, 28, 8, 22 and 23, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. We believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. And what will this home look like? Well, I don't fully know. But everything that you love, love, love here will be there in a more full and more perfected form. More real, not less. 
Remember our longings, that place of eternity in our hearts? I believe that our longings tell us more about what is true and what will be true than our experiences do. Just as I believe that our longings tell us more about who we are than our actions do. They hold deep truth. So keep aware of your longings. They point the way home. So we started um, with the beauty of the garden in Genesis. But at the end of Revelation, here are the words of John. Then I saw in a new heaven and a new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. So, um, Josh introduced a song to us a while back called He is Worthy by Andrew Peterson. And I thought we might close today by reading the words responsively. So I'll say the words in white and you can respond loudly um, with the words in yellow. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. So remember, we're just passing through this nonsense. The garden is ahead. And in, within some 70 years or so, we're heading home.